how many leadership lessons to learn in there about the idea of being conscientious and intentional about setting the pace and recognizing that you know you're gonna go further along this journey by setting the pace in the right way for the good of the whole. Welcome to another episode of CU Lead, sponsored by NetGiver, the app that enables donors and nonprofits to give and receive on a no-fee basis. On this podcast, we feature credit union industry executives and the impacts they make to communities everywhere. I am Glenn Frechette, and today I am joined by Jill Nowacki. Jill is the CEO of Humanity, with the most interesting spelling I've ever seen. Let's start there. Well, thank you, Glenn. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you, but talk to me about the naming of your company. Yep. So when I started Humanity, the mission of it was to help credit unions be more inclusive workplaces, specifically focused on how to attract, develop, and retain diverse talent. So I talked a lot about how I wanted to create a strategic consulting firm that was completely focused on the human side and recognize that in focusing on the human side, we had to be able to get diversity, equity, and inclusion right. So it doesn't sound that genius when I say I was essentially focused on human and DEI and put them together and humanity came out of it. You know, it's, it's, it's an acronym <laughs> that we all know very well on account of some unfortunate events that have transpired in our world. Yeah. Your timing was just fantastic to start a company and include the well-known acronym. Yeah, and for a moment, it was uh, I wasn't sure about that. I started Humanity in 2019, and so standing up a company and being really excited about moving into this space that is sometimes considered by credit unions to be a little softer and squishier. When budgets get cut, sometimes that side of it would be maybe some of the first to go, along with like marketing dollars, for right. example. Um, and so starting that in 2019. And then, you know, less than a year later, having a global pandemic hit that really drove everybody to say, we are only concerned about the essentials right now, um, made me a little nervous for a couple of months. And mm. then there was, um, you know, an, the, the unfortunate catalyst in the murder of George Floyd really awakening people to be more thoughtful about what they were doing with diversity, equity, and inclusion than in the summer of 2020. Um, started to open up some more conversations and some more needs from that. And fortunately, credit unions have stayed committed to that. It wasn't a flash in the pan trend in reaction. Um, while some of them may have awakened due to a moment in time, we have seen continued commitment through that. You know what, Jill, what's occurring to me as I'm listening to you describe what is likely a flash in the pan for a lot of companies in the world. And I'm certainly not going to stereotype and say the for-profit sector. <laughs> yeah. That would be wrong to do. Yeah. But let's face it, social responsibility may fall off a little bit as 2023 brings, predictably, a tougher environment. Yeah. Uh, but not the credit union industry. It feels like we're leaning in even more so than we have before. Yeah, and certainly it's the industry I know best, so it's hard for me to speak as intimately about another industry. But I think something that is going to present a challenge for all companies is where a traditional economic downturn may cause people to say, okay, well, we're gonna tighten all the belts. We're gonna, we're gonna really look at what we can cut. I don't know that employees will allow it. And the talent market remains hyper-competitive. 
But more than that, I think employee expectations, there's a kind of a, um, this question comes up a lot of like, is this a change for now or is this a change forever? And I think we saw pandemic changes happening of people starting to prioritize work-life balance a little mm. bit differently, starting to look at things that mattered with a little bit different lens. And I don't think that prioritization of personal well-being is going to go away. So I think companies, if they want to keep good talent, and you have to have good talent when you're navigating uncertain times or tough economic downturns, I think they'll have to stay committed to some of these emphases on culture that have emerged. And, and that does include the, the focus on building that more inclusive workplace. Too. You know what, Jill, that's an awesome take. Uh, and the insight you've just given to me reminds me of a conversation we were having yesterday with another individual interviewee sitting in your chair. And it surprised me a little bit only because of the world, I guess, that I started in post-graduation from college. But what was said to me yesterday is candidates applying for jobs are asking the interviewer what their commitment is to social responsibility. Are you seeing that a lot? Absolutely. Where, where the candidates are in the driver's seat with that one. Absolutely. And it is that question of like, when we're talking to CEO level candidates, some of the first questions they'll ask me before they even get to the, the finalist interview is, tell me about the diversity of the board of directors. Like, it, you know, what is the leadership, the topmost leadership of that credit union look like? When I'm speaking to executives at the non-CEO level, we're getting the question from, you know, the, the kind of the professional positions we place that aren't executive level yet. Mm. They're asking that idea. And there's two questions really that come what's the commitment to DEI look like? And give me specific examples. So not just their statement of commitment or the social media post, but actual elements that have come out of that. And then the second question, which we as humanity treat as a huge part of diversity, equity, and inclusion is what does career path planning look like at this organization? Like what are my opportunities for advancement? And they don't want to hear, oh, well, you know, stick around for 27 years and you might be able to buy for the CEO position. <laughs> right. They want to know what's the, you know, what is my opportunity to make a difference, to make a contribution? What are you willing to do to continue to develop me and help me grow so that I am ready for that next step? You know what's awesome about what you're saying to me? It's easy to get discouraged that we've found ourselves in a world that in a lot of ways has not changed for the good. But as I'm listening to you tell a very awesome story, uh, I'm digging what we're up to. You know, yeah. in this way, our, our world is very much improving. Yeah. And it's, I, um, to just kind of build off what you're saying there, it's, you know, I hear that a lot about like, oh, the world's so bad and the world's so bad. I um, made a very conscious choice, as you know, in 2019 to start Humanity. And a lot of that was tied to the fact that I've been very fortunate to have a career that I've been extremely passionate about. And I find a lot of joy in the work I do. And I've been, I've met plenty of people who don't, yeah. who, you know, work is not something that lights them up or it's that drudgery. And I have a belief that, you know, people can find these jobs that are truly joyful, that do light them up. And I think where that aligns with kind of the world where we are today is that it feels like something has shifted where people are to a point where they want that job that they actually find joy in and they believe that it's okay for them to expect it. Whereas I think maybe five years ago, it was more like, well, it's work, it's not supposed to be fun. Yeah. And now we're seeing employers <laughs> and employees come together 
with this like, yeah, we should create an employee experience that is fulfilling and it is um, something that actually does bring people joy. And not just because we're altruistic, but right. because when people are in that place where they're work, look, working in ways that actually fulfills them, yes. the result is much better. Okay. You know what's so, I'm just gonna say crazy about this discussion we're having. I know you're a mom to a, a young man and you know I have two kids. What we say to them is I want you to choose something that fulfills you, that you're passionate about and have a great life that way. And yet these individuals, our kids, reach the workforce and if they're hearing what you just described that some employers are saying, yeah. that's pretty awful, meaning mm -hmm. work isn't for fun. Right. Work is not really about pursuing a passion, it's about drudgery. Right, yeah, and that's they're brutal. not gonna stand for it, right? Like, I mean, that might mean we have our kids living in our basements for a oh. long time, but no. <laughs> Can mine live in yours, or what do you say? Are you volunteering? <laughs> nope, nope, okay. but there is that, you know, and I don't know, I, my kiddo is only 11, so he's got a lot of time to actually figure out a career path. Yeah. But it's also wild that he's like, I don't know if your kids have ever done this one on you, but it's like, well, I'm going to be a YouTube star. Mm. Like, I'm just going to make money off my YouTube channel. Yeah. And as much as that sounds so far-fetched, and you know, we may still be of a generation where we're like, no, please go find a real job when yeah. that time comes. What we've seen to be true is, while some people do, in fact, make, make that living off of YouTube, um, there's a whole bunch of people that are finding that way to make a living not based on going in and doing a nine to five job, but whether it's sort of a solopreneurship or it's doing project based work or it's something like the gig, gig economy where, you know, primarily we see it as Uber drivers, but you can see it through like, I'm going to pick up a contract for some graphic design right. and then I'm going to go take four weeks and travel Europe and then I'm going to come back and pick up a different contract and technology has enabled us to be able to do that in such a different way that there is some speculation that like our kids really won't have a job like what we've had. They won't go to an employer and work a nine to five job. And a lot of what we saw during the Great Resignation was just that. It was mm. people leaving nine to five jobs to go do contract work, gig work, project-based work in a much more flexible way. Too. Is the Great Resignation over? I think it's probably, we're to a point now, I've, I've said a lot in the last couple of years that we don't really know if we're living a pivotal moment in history until we look back at it and then we can say, oh, here's what was actually happening there. Right. And so without question, we did see shifts in the workforce. I, I think what we're starting to see is it wasn't exactly that great resignation in that everybody quit and was just unemployed. Mm. It was a shift in that. There's one element that I think kind of my, my challenge to the credit union system would be solve this problem because it's going to create major economic um, dissatisfaction and that is the childcare um, shortage that we have. And I do think that has been a factor in actually driving people to leave jobs. Um, so many organizations or so many states where I go speak, they will talk about like a three year wait list for daycare right now. And if you have, you know, two parents who are working and they decide to have a child 
they're not going to wait until the daycare list opens up to have that child. Right. And they're going to have the child when they're ready to have it. And then when you have a baby and there's no daycare, you have to make a decision. And so we're seeing it happen. Certainly the young parents um, are in some cases deciding who leaves the workforce to do the care. But I've also actually seen this very kind of different dynamic, which is the grandparents are like, Oh, well, I'll leave the workforce a little early than I intended oh. so that I can help out my children as they're moving forward on that. You have, so, a, you have a pulse on a lot of cool stuff. It's Yeah, it's a <laughs> unique one. And I think it's just that that one is something when we look at it and you know that I am deeply passionate about seeing women appropriately or adequately represented in the workforce. And we did see women disproportionately impacted by the great resignation the number of women leaving the workforce was much greater and i think a lot of that does track to child care shortages and when we look at you know economic well-being we know that we need women to be equitably paid we need women to have their own incomes in order to have a strong economy and so i think that that issue of the child care shortage is a much bigger driver than just inconvenience or a potential labor shortage. I think having a lack of access to affordable childcare is driving or will ultimately drive bigger economic issues. What a great take, Jill. I, I really appreciated <laughs> listening to that. Uh, I learned something just then. That was that was awesome. What our listeners do not know uh, is much about you necessarily because this podcast will go out to a broad audience. We know each other well yeah. and I know what your history is, but uh, enlighten me, if you will, for our listeners' sake. Help us to understand your path through Credit Union Nation. Absolutely. Thank you. So I joined Credit Unions in 2001. Uh, my first job was doing marketing for Montana's credit unions. At the time, my job was primarily to produce the newsletters that went in with statement inserts. And I was very concerned that if direct mail went away, there would be no marketing jobs oh. left anymore. Yeah. So, uh, so fortunately, I've been able to keep up with some changing technology trends over that. Um, I think the reason why that first job for me was so defining is I got it initially and thought, well, I'll do this for one year and then I'll go find something really meaningful. My first boss is a person named Tracy Kenyon. She's now getting ready to retire from the Montana Credit Union Network after having served there for over 20 years. And I had this opportunity to have a role model who, who looked like me, who represented me in that leadership position, but also who was so deeply passionate about credit unions to the fabric of her being that I began to see credit unions as a a calling and something where I could make Mm. a difference with my career. So over the course of the next 20 years, I moved to a national association. I moved to a credit union. I worked at MAPS Credit Union out in Salem, Oregon. And then I had my own opportunity to be uh, the, the league president at the Connecticut Credit Union League. And it was in that role that I really started to look around and at that level of leadership in the space see where there was a lot more homogeny in the demographics of our top leadership. And that's what inspired me to then go ahead and start Humanity at that point. To hang your own shingle out front. And I happen to know you're a world traveler. So perhaps you started your company (laughs) because A, you're an accomplished person and you still have a lot to give in this world, but you also want to travel the world on your own time. It's, I mean, it's a wonderful thing. So in, you know, maybe if I just waited a little longer, I could have done it with any job, right? But in 2019, (laughs) it was, it was a chance to be location independent. And uh, um, from that perspective, to be able to say, all right, I'm going to, I can work from anywhere. I don't have to be in Connecticut in order to do this job. And so now I have clients all over the country and, um, you know, when I'm not on site with them, they don't really care where I am. And so it's been an excellent opportunity for 
myself and of course, you know, my partner and he also has a great deal of flexibility. And so we've been able to say, all right, we're going to spend a summer in Spain or we're going to spend six weeks on the island of Bonaire and get my son's scuba certified as well. And so it's this been This is where I'm going to start to get mad at you. I'm sorry. Should I stop? So, but, uh, <laughs> but this chance to really see the world and, and, uh, and continue to build and broaden perspectives, I think, is really important. I agree with you. So let's talk about people development. You've had an opportunity in uh, lots of different roles within your life to... Uh, develop budding individuals that have an aspiration to want to continue to give back. The people development part of your job, is this enjoyable for you? Yeah, I love it. And that's definitely what, when I think about kind of like, where is that place where, so often I challenge people to say, if you're working in your organization and you're trying to look at how you can really gain fulfillment at work, and a lot of times, especially with smaller organizations, there's a lot of well, I spend so much time doing this and doing that, and it sounds like we have leaders who are maybe down in the weeds where they shouldn't be. So the challenge I often give people is, what is the highest contribution you could make? Like, what are you doing when you're contributing at your highest level? Mm. And for me, I think that is uh, contributing from the perspective of being able to develop and grow other people so that it creates a situation where my team is not limited in like their capacity to perform by where I create a bottleneck, for example, but that they can move beyond that. And how that extends beyond the humanity team and out into the work that we do is to be able, sometimes people just need that opportunity to have someone else ask them the right question or help them look at something a little bit differently. And you remove that one obstacle, whether it's a mental obstacle or an actual time obstacle, and they start to perform at that higher level. And that's where, so I feel like that's where my highest contribution is is in helping to develop that and so it's definitely well i mean i'm easily life. stealing at least eight buzz phrases <laughs> you've given me today uh, because i agree with you that's where i tend to shine because i like it it's enjoyable uh, but now i have a new cool phrase um, so i want to lean into the african trip because uh, philanthropic giving is a very important thing for our industry and i know it's near and dear to your heart uh, talk to us about, uh, first of all, the Africa trip, because you could probably go on and on and, and pretty awesome, I know. Yeah. Uh, but I want to hear about the awesome part, but also the angle in terms of benefiting uh, philanthropic organizations. Absolutely. So um, Africa was an incredible experience. The Climb Africa trip included both the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro or climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, which is, I think, the thing that people automatically associate with climb. But we had a ground team as well that was doing some significant work in the country of Malawi, um, where they were building a school and, and helping to support a community there in partnership with a credit union there. And that was also part of Climb Africa. So when we talk about Climb Africa, we're not talking about the summit of Kilimanjaro. We're talking about work we were doing to help the continent advance the way credit unions are serving in that area. And specifically the outcome of the work we were attempting to do is to raise awareness and raise funds that will help ACOSCA, so the Trade Association for Africa's Credit Unions, to provide greater development opportunities to help lift up that African credit union movement or the SACO movement there. Wow. And when you go back to everything I just said about feeling like my, my gift, my, my highest level contribution is that idea of helping people to get that development, to get to that next step. And you think about education as a key part of that. Like we're going to help African credit unions succeed 
not because we're going to go in and do charitable work with them, but because we're going to help them build a training center, an innovation center, where they can start to build themselves up and to get that, that education, that caliber of talent in there that will lift the African black community. And I don't know how much you know about Africa's credit unions, but one of the things I remember from an early WOKU trip I took when I first started in the credit union industry um, was meeting someone and we were talking about the great work that credit unions do in their communities. And I was talking about affordable lending and some of the important stuff that we do for community development. And the person I was talking to was talking to me about how their credit union was um, solving challenges related to the AIDS epidemic in mm. Africa. And it's like, I think we do important work. They're literally saving lives and future generations of their community. Yep. Yep. And to know that there is a there's that level of impact that the credit unions can make on the continent of Africa and how something as small as helping them see a path to greater education for the people there working on the ground and knowing that level of impact it might have is pretty, it's rewarding, it's fulfilling, and it seems important. Okay, I mean, let's not lose sight of the fact that you did summit Mount Kilimanjaro. I did do that, yes. All right, so in Colorado, we talk about the 14ers. Yeah. And people like to brag about how many 14ers they've bagged. Yeah. Right? How many have you bagged? And as a younger man, I did seven fast. Okay. And now I'm like, eh. <laughs> but how many feet was the ascent? 19,341 feet. That is the summit or that's the ascent? That's that's the summit. Sorry, that's the summit. Okay. So, yeah. You start at probably 2,000-ish maybe? Think, I think we might start at 6,000. I think it's a little bit, a little bit higher than that. And so how I think long did it take you to complete? Um, so the interesting thing about Kilimanjaro is it is not a difficult technical hike. Okay. It is difficult because of the altitude. And so one thing that I learned as I was doing research about it is that the demographic that is most likely to fail is men between the ages of 20 and 30. Huh. And the reason for that is because they're very confident in their health and physical fitness and they go out too fast. And so the, it did take us, we spent six days on the summit um, they, and we, there's a phrase or I guess not a phrase, just a single word, pole. And so pole, pole, pole. So it's spelled like pole pronounced pole okay. and it means slow. Hmm. And the number of times your guides were like, pole, pole, pole. I'll tell you this. You probably know Caroline Willard. Yes. From, so we tease Caroline and I don't think she'd mind me telling this story. Um, but Caroline got, uh, got sent to the back of the line several times. Caroline is a hard-charging, high-achieving leader, and going slow was just not in her uh, automatic wheelhouse. Love it. So she was up at the front of the line, and our guide was like, okay, you get to the back. And then as we were continuing to walk, somehow she managed to get back to the front of the 17 people again. And then the whole pace of the group picks up with that pace of the leader. So she got sent to the back again, and the guide actually was like, Go back there, sit for a minute, and think about what you've done. No way. It was fantastic. Oh my god! So our joke for the rest of the trip was like, Caroline, think about what you've done. Reprimand. <laughs> so good. Fun. But it was very much this, and and you know how many leadership lessons to learn in there about the idea of being conscientious and intentional about setting the pace and recognizing that you know you're gonna go further along this journey by setting the pace in the right way for the good of the whole as you're moving so cool i love it um i have met now several individuals that were on that trip with you i, I should say i knew who they were and they are friends in my life 
I didn't know they were all going on the trip and now it feels like they're crawling out of the woodwork. Yeah, you, had a, yeah. you had a nice cohort. Yeah, it was great. It Probably was made some, some deeper friendships. Yeah, and exactly, like you said, it was people you know, but you know, you spend six days on a mountain with them and you know them at a whole different level. Right, like you ride. didn't see Mark Meyer in pajamas before. Right, right. But now you have. <laughs> right, okay. right. So that changes the discussion. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole different level. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I want to end uh, on a very personal note uh, in terms of something that's important to your family. Uh, you know, you've mentioned now a couple of different philanthropic organizations that you care about. Mm -hmm. Certainly you care about in a professional sense and, and perhaps more so. But I always want to give my guests a chance to plug a nonprofit mm -hmm. uh, that you care about, and please tell us why it's important to your family. Okay. Um, so I'm going to tell you three. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. The first one. Uh, so Crosby and I have started a tradition where instead of sending Christmas cards, we make a donation every year that would be like the equivalent price of the postage in the cards um, if we sent them to all of our Facebook friends. And so uh, the first couple of years we did that, we chose an organization called A New Beginning. And a new beginning is the adoption agency that we adopted Crosby for. So that one is obviously significantly personally important to us from that perspective. And that's called a new beginning. Yeah, they're a small agency out of the state of Idaho, but they happen to be a very, a very close personal uh, connection to us. And so we highly believe in you know, the, the gift of adoption and, and that side of it. The second, um, the one that he's tended toward is he's had more input into it as he's gotten older. He's very focused on the ocean conservancy and uh, making contributions to protect the ocean, to protect our seas. I mentioned we're scuba divers and as scuba divers, you, it's kind of this weird thing where I probably went 35 years of my life without thinking a lot about the ocean. Mm. Once you become a diver, it changes your interaction, I think, with nature in that way. And so that's become important to us from an environment. If we keep tracking you, Jill, on Facebook or LinkedIn, you've now conquered scuba diving. Yes. You've hiked Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Should we expect that you're going to hit the moon next? I don't, I don't know. Space travel has not been my thing. I'm more underwater than up in the air, I guess, from that side. So, so sorry, specifically yeah. the name of that organization you want to plug uh, We is... do Ocean Conservancy with ours. So. Ocean Conservancy. Yeah. All and, right, then, um, and then finally, the inside the industry, there are two that I make sure I get to every year. It's the National Credit Union Foundation and the, the World uh, Council Foundation as well. Uh, because I kind of that concept of like credit unions have given me an amazing career. I believe in them because I believe in what they do. And I believe that the foundation, the National Credit Union Foundation and the World Council's Foundation focus in different ways, but both very meaningful from that side. Amazing. That was, uh, those are really good organizations. And I can tell you, they've not been used by another guest. Oh, wow. So it's great when you that. have, yeah, it's great <laughs> when you have unique ones that yeah. our listeners will start to look up just because you told them to. Yeah, excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Are you going to go back to booth duty? What are you uh, doing I'm from go here? I'm going to see him. The team, the, I sent the text, and so now I'm going to go uh, go check in with my team and see how everybody's Yeah, doing you can't just go peace out. And then I've got to go don my gown for the Herb Wagner, speaking uh, of the National Credit Union Foundation. You're speaking tonight. I'm not speaking tonight. No, no, oh. no. Speak, just speaking of the National uh, Credit Union Foundation, they're big fans of uh, the Herb Wagner. So, yeah. Um, well, have fun there. Thank you. Get the gown on. Yeah. Prom dress. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Pleasure, Jill. Thank you. Have a great rest of your comp.